Today, well, we've looked at in the past several weeks, we've looked at Jonah and the whale or the great fish. We've looked at the crossing of the Red Sea where the Israelites moved from Egypt's bondage to the promised land and the miracles that God did in between. We've looked at Daniel and the lion's den and how God has kept his hand upon his people as they sell themselves completely and totally to him. Last week, we looked at Moses and the burning bush and how that the bush is always burning. You just got to get your eyes fixed in the right place and see what God's doing. Amen? Amen. And today, I want to look at Joseph and the coat of many colors. It's, it's one of my favorite stories. I have many favorites, but this is one that that jumps out at me. And I know we've talked about this in the past. Landon shared some, some incredible truth from this story uh, not so long ago. But as I was praying about this last and final day, uh, the story of Joseph just kept coming to me. And it's, it's one of those stories that is timeless because I believe we can all relate at some point on some level to this young man who went through a mess and came out incredible. So look with me at Genesis chapter 37 today. We'll be looking at a lot of scripture. So follow along if you'd like to on your, your Bible app or if you brought your Bible today or it will be on the screen as well. We're going back to the beginning of Joseph. This is the account of Jacob and his family when Joseph was 17 years old. I love the fact that, that we get a glimpse of Joseph as a teenager because this is where foundation was built in him. It was built before this, but at, at the age of 17, it says he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. He was pretty much a tattletale at that point. And it didn't, didn't do well for him, you know. Uh, some of us could learn a lesson there, right? Any tattletales in the building? Okay, I didn't think you'd raise your hand, but, but you know there are some. And, and it says in verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Now the translation says a coat of many colors, uh, an, an ornamented robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And some of you live in those kind of situations. You have relatives, you have brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, people that you know. They just can't say a kind word to you. They're always trying to tear you down because to tear you down makes them feel better. It's, it's one of the things that we taught our children growing up that, that many people have empty buckets. And so they're always trying to dip into your bucket to fill theirs up. The problem with that is they never get filled up. And so instead of that being a negative to you, go ahead and fill their bucket. Just 
go ahead and bless them. Go ahead and speak life into them. And watch God bless them. But listen, if you're in that kind of, of situation, you're in good company because that's where Joseph was. And one night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. <laughs> listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And his brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? You think actually that you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. And he had 11 brothers. This time he told the, the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. And I think of the many people who have, who have been dreamers in their life. And, and people stood around and looked at them and said, don't you dare dream that big. Who do you think you are? You know, they said of Albert Einstein, he, he, was, he didn't read, he didn't speak until he was four, didn't read until he was seven. His, his teacher called him unsociable, adrift forever in his foolish dreams. Thomas Edison's teachers told him that he would never amount to anything. Kind of glad he didn't give up. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. But he had a dream of being a basketball player. I mean, you could go down the list. Beethoven, his, he, he was a violin player, and, and his teacher said he wasn't any good. He, he refused to work on his, his capabilities as a violin player. And, and they also said he'd never make it as a composer. Elvis Presley was kicked out of his church choir because the choir director said, you can't sing. First Assembly of God, Memphis, Tennessee. And, and there always will be somebody who will tell you why you can't do what you're supposed to do, what God has placed inside of you. There will always be somebody telling you that's a foolish dream. Who do you think you are? Are you kidding me? Don't you know who you are, where you came from? Nobody in your family has ever... And the list will go on and on and on, and yet there are those who dare to believe that what God puts inside of them and places in them can actually happen. And some of you, God has placed a dream in your heart, and I'm here to tell you today, don't give up on your dream. Don't give in to those who say, what kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? While his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. 
Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. And when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I'll send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. They came, then he came, then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way. Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told them. They've moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. And when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal's eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph, return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. And now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them as a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. And you thought juicy fruit was just invented lately. Do they still make juicy fruit? I don't know. Okay. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother. This is a much better plan. Let's just make him a slave. Let's sell him. Let's get some money for the dude, okay? He's our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. What will I do now? And then the brothers killed a young goat, dipped Joseph's robe in his, robe in his blood. And they sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? And their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces, and they didn't tell him the truth. Then Jacob tore his clothes, dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will get, go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say. Then he would weep. And meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt when, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace's guard. Now listen, what, what you've been blessed with from your father, from your heavenly father, it may be met with jealousy, it may be met with resistance, and it may be met with anger. And they can try, but they can't eliminate your blessing. Touch your neighbor and see, they can't eliminate your blessing. Come on, somebody. 
They can take your robe, but they can't take your inner reality. They can take what's on the outside, but they can't do anything to what God has placed on the inside of you. Come on. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, chapter 39, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But I want you to notice verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Really? I mean, if you and I were in this situation, everybody in the family hates us. In fact, they don't just hate us, they've sold us. They got 20 pieces of silver for us. And they don't even regret it. It's no big deal. Those closest to you have hurt you, they've, they've sold you, they've, they've made you a slave in a land that you don't even belong in, and yet the Lord is with you in the midst of that. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. It doesn't matter what label they place on you, what they've stripped from you. If God is with you, no one can be against you. God is working even in the areas that you think, he's forgotten about me. Somebody needs to hear this today. Verse 3 says, Potiphar noticed this. He noticed that the Lord was with Joseph. He noticed that everything Joseph touched was successful. And he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. You see, when you carry the anointing and favor and blessing of God, it spills out into what you're doing and who you're with. You need that touch from the Lord. You need God's hand of favor upon your life. And all his household affairs ran smoothly, his crops and livestock flourished. See, some of us, we partner with people who don't have the blessing of God. And, and it's hurting what God wants to do in and through you. And Potiphar was blessed enough to have chosen Joseph and bring him into his household, and all of a sudden, things started going well. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. <laughs> Gotta have my Cheerios. <laughs> Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, 
My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. And sometimes we don't make the connect that everything we do affects our relationship with God. Not just with those around us. Those around us are important, but what happens here is it disconnects us from the one who is able to bless and flourish us. Joseph made that connect. Yes, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. See, somebody needs to hear that today. I don't know who you're hanging with and who's trying to pull you somewhere, but if you'll have the wisdom that Joseph had, you'll stay away from her, you'll stay away from him as much as possible. Come on, somebody. Joseph gives us some wisdom here. He didn't have anything to do with her. He refused to be near her. He refused to sleep with her. He kept out of her way much as he could. One day, however, no one else was around, and when he went in to do his work, she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. There's some things you need to run from. There's a lot we need to run to. We need to run to God. There's some things we need to run from. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside, got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. And then she told him her story. And it was a story. It wasn't truth. It was a story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. So now he's in prison. Notice the next verse, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And by now I'm thinking, really? Seriously? Are you kidding me? But God, you gave me a dream. A dream when I was 17 years old. And you said this is what was going to happen. And it ain't happening. It doesn't even look like it could ever happen. What in the world is going on? Life doesn't make much sense right now. And somebody this week has said that very line. Life just doesn't make any sense right now. 
the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. And before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Same song, third verse. <laughs> a little bit louder, a little bit worse. Chapter 40. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended the royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials and put them in the prison where Joseph was. In the palace of the captain of the guard, they remained in prison for quite some time. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph who looked after them. And when they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer, baker, and each had a dream one night. Each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom. As soon as it produced clusters of ripe grapes, I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand. So I took a cluster of grapes, squeezed the juice into the cup, then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please, please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place for I was kidnapped from my house, my homeland, the land of the Hebrews. And now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. The chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation. He said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, uh, there were three baskets of white pastry stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh. The birds came and ate it from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three baskets also represent three days. And three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. And the birds will come and peck away at your flesh. <laughs> and... <laughs> And that didn't go so well for that guy. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff, and he summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, However, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. And you think it can't get any worse and for Joseph, and you're thinking, God, where are you? Do you even see me here? Are you kidding me? I did the right thing. I've been doing the right thing all along, and here I am. I know you've never been there. 
Pharaoh has a dream, needs an interpretation. Chief Cupbearer finally remembers Joseph. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph at once. Genesis 41, verse 14. He was quickly brought from the prison after he shaved and changed his clothes. He went in and stood before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. No one here can tell me what it means, but I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. You see, your reputation has gone before you. That which you've done in secret has come to the palace. And I didn't even know that anybody knew what was going on except God. And yet God has a way of making a way where there seems to be no way. It's who he is. And God can take you from obscurity because of what you've done there in the secret place, in the hidden place, in the place that nobody else can see. It says, because you've been faithful there. You can be faithful here. Because I could trust you while you were in prison. I can now trust you in the palace. Come on. Joseph said it is beyond my power to do this. It's not about me. He said, but there is a God. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And Joseph interprets the dream with God's help. And then he lays out a plan, a plan that God placed in his heart, a plan from the Lord. In chapter 41, verse 41, it says, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Mic drop. <laughs> I would, but this is very expensive. I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath, Panea, and gave him Azanath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Verse 46. Are you still with me today? I I know I'm, I'm going through a lot of scripture today, but hang with me. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He's 30. Had the dream at 17. He's 30. And the dream has yet to be fulfilled. Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence, traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. 
Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. And he said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. And the second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. We, we get a, a glimpse right now into Joseph's heart condition. It's revealed. Something is peeled back as he names his children. And I'm going to tell you something. There will come a day when God will make you forget all your trouble. It may not be tomorrow, it may not be next week, it may not be next month, it may not be next year, but there will come a day when God will make you forget all your trouble and all the mess you've been through. There will come a day when God will make you fruitful in the land of your suffering. He may not take you out of your suffering, but he may make you fruitful in the middle of it. When everybody else is going, how can you be blessed right now? How can you be prosperous right now? What's going on with you? And you're saying, hey, God, God is working. And I can see his hand moving things around. He works all things together for good. That's not good, but let me work it in. Come on. It all happens just as the Lord has spoken, and Joseph's brothers come and bow down before Joseph. And he finally reveals who he is to them. It's one of my favorite parts of the story. Chapter 45, verse 1 Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. He broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were, huh, what? Yeah, you're the guy in charge of Egypt. They didn't recognize him. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. And again, the layers are ripped back and we see the heart condition of Joseph. It was God who sent me here ahead of you. It was God. 
I've been through hell on earth. But it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. I know you think you did this to me, but God was working in the middle of it. I can now see the hand of God in all my mess. And he's the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Listen, it was 20 years from the time of the dream till the beginning signs of the fulfillment of the dream. 13 years from his dream to the release out of prison, seven years of plenty, and two more years into the famine, until his father came and bowed down before him, it was 22 years from dream to fulfillment. And I get bummed about a week, or a month, or a year, or a few years. And somehow, I lose trust in God. Because he doesn't jump at my beck and call. Bill Johnson made a statement that absolutely boggled my mind, and, and I want to share it with you today. He said, if God is my servant, he will continually frustrate me. If I'm his, I will constantly be amazed. And I wonder who's serving who. Because sometimes we're commanding God around like we're God. And he just needs to do what we say. And if he's my servant, which he's not, by the way, and he will never be, he's God all by himself. He sits on the throne. He rules and reigns supreme. He is God. But if I think he's my servant, I will be completely frustrated with him at all times. And that's where some of us live. And we're living there right now today. And we're so mad at God because he's not doing what we said to do. And he's not listening. He's not obeying us. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Because I've said it. Alicia Britt Sholee says, so many of us are addicted we're addicted to experience. As long as God is doing what we want, and we can feel and sense him, then everything's great. We're all in. But when the feelings subside and God's not seeming to do what I want, then I go somewhere else or run to something else to feel something, anything. We're addicted to experience. And, and I'll tell you, it's a pandemic in the church. If you don't feel God, then clearly he must not be near, no matter what his word declares. 
We interpret the silence of God as the absence of God because we are addicted to feelings. We're addicted to experience. Can I tell you that God was with Joseph every step of the way, though I'm sure he didn't feel God. Even though his circumstances screamed that God had abandoned him, God was with him. God is constant in mountains and valleys. He's constant whether I feel him or not. Joseph had a relationship with God that wasn't based on circumstances or feelings or he would have been out of there long ago. He would have said to Potiphar's wife, dude, I'm in. Let's get jiggy with it. He knew that God was with him in the most difficult of circumstances over the long haul. This was no quick rescue, no quick dream come true. It took 22 years of waiting. A visiting pastor was attending a men's breakfast at a Mississippi farm county. He asked one of the impressive older farmers in attendance to say grace that morning. After everyone was seated, the old farmer began, Lord, I hate buttermilk. Pastor opened one eye and wondered to himself where this was going. Farmer loudly proclaimed, Lord, I hate lard. And now the pastor was worried. However, without missing a beat, the farmer prayed on, and Lord, you know I don't care much for raw white flour. And just as the pastor was ready to stand and stop everything, the farmer continued, Lord, when you mix them all together and bake them up, I do love fresh biscuits. So, Lord, when things come up we don't like, when life gets hard, when we just don't understand what you're saying to us, and we just need to relax and wait till you're done mixing. And probably it'll be something even better than biscuits. <laughs> Amen. You know, it takes a lot of ingredients to mix together for good. Alicia Britt-Sholey in her book, Anonymous, which is what the ladies will be going through, she talks about the iceberg principle. You know what an iceberg is. It's 10% visible, 90% underground. And she says, here's the principle, 10% visible plus 90% unseen equals an indestructible life. Icebergs don't grow their virtually indestructible strength top down but bottom up slowly layer upon layer over time line upon line precept upon precept it takes years to become an overnight success she says perhaps no other space in life is more critical for the development of self-control than the hidden years of our teens 20s and 30s in these early anonymous seasons, God graciously grants us the opportunity to wrestle with our appetites before other lives are at stake, to struggle with our passions privately before moral collapse affects the innocent publicly. There in the unphotographed spaces of hidden years, when we're not calling the shots or taking the heat or on the front lines or in the spotlight, self-control has the opportunity to grow slowly and steadily layer upon layer until that inner strength fuses together and creates something indestructible. 
It's in the anonymous seasons it can become exceedingly difficult to remember that every choice we make today influences a tomorrow we can't see yet. In hidden years, we tend to think that the main course is somewhere out there, not right here. So we treat today with less respect than we should, as though the current gift of time that is before us is simply a filler, kind of like chips and salsa. Today always counts. If we fail to deal with issues today, they will deal with us tomorrow. It's like carelessly charging up a credit card because we're convinced that all charges will disappear at some future magical moment called marriage or employment or responsibility. And though we know intellectually that the clock, clock keeps ticking, we often, for a variety of reasons, fail to connect the choices we make in each tick and consider how that connection shapes our future. We feel the moment so strongly, but struggle to link a tangible today with an intangible tomorrow. She says time is not really spent. Instead, it is invested in a future we cannot see. And Satan daily tempts us to trade the eternal for the visible. In so many moments in Joseph's life, he was tempted to trade the eternal for the visible. She says, every choice we make is an investment in a future we cannot see. And surrendering to hidden years enabled Jesus and Joseph and can enable us to desire above all God's company and not be distracted by life's scenery. And the scripture reminds us, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To them that are called according to his purpose. So what can we learn from Joseph? I think we can learn a lot. Don't panic. If God said it, it's going to happen. Don't panic. If God said it, it's going to happen. God is not a man that he could lie. Amen. Pay attention to what God says and not what everyone else does. Don't get distracted. What can we learn from Joseph? They can take your robe, but they can't take your inner reality. They can strip you on the outside, but they can't reduce you on the inside. Remember this, you always drift towards what you focus on. Get your eyes off the rearview mirror and go forward into your destiny. And, and some of us are so busy looking in the rearview mirror that we can't go forward. You're stuck. You're stuck. My brothers took my robe. My brothers, they sold me. If Potiphar would have just listened to the truth, I wouldn't be here in prison. 
Look, get, get your eyes off the rearview mirror. I don't know what's in your rearview mirror, but it's been consuming you way too long. It's only to glance at every once in a while to see where you've been and what's trying to sneak up on you. You got a big window up front. Focus on where you're going. Focus on the dream that God has placed in you, that, that plan that he gave you maybe years ago. Don't trade the eternal for the visible. It's so tempting. It's, it's right there. You can touch it. You can see it. You can feel it. It's, and I can't feel eternity yet. I can't, I can't see God yet. I, I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not even sure he's there anymore. And this is so nice. Don't buy the lie. Remember this. What the enemy means for evil, God can always turn for good. Amen. That's, that's what he does. Keep a good attitude no matter where you're placed. Because some choices you don't make, but you can choose your attitude. You can't choose what everybody does to you, but you can choose how you react to it. Stay faithful to God. Trust Him with the details. And last, man's evil plans cannot thwart God's hand of favor. And I remind you of Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? God is for us. Who can be against us? Stand with me. If God is for us, who can be against us?